Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are Seekers, Soul Sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, everybody. So excited to tell you some news that we have. So we've heard your feedback (laughs) And we are listening. Just know. I hope you know that. So Danae and I have done a bunch of week-long intensive retreats. And we've gotten a lot of you reaching out saying, oh, so long. Can you do it shorter? Right? Mm -hmm. Um, Feels like it's a lot of time to get away for some of you. And we totally get that. So we've decided to do a condensed version of our retreats. And we're going to bring it to you in a weekend. Yeah. You know what I love about this is we go to Idlewild, California pretty frequently, and it feels like a retreat escape like into the woods and just like almost like summer camp. It's so much fun. And I love that we decided to sort of merge the work that we do in these intensive experiences with the fun that we have in Idlewild and um, just like being out in this like really beautiful setting together. Totally. So I'm actually going to invite y'all into my home and we are going to have it at my house in my beautiful setting in Idlewild, California, July 14th through 16th. We're going to have a small number of spaces because it is going to be a more condensed version and there's less space than these giant ones that we usually do. So get on it if you're interested. But you know, you know what to expect. If you're listening to this, you know what Danae and I love to talk about. So there'll be <laughs> you all know the how good things. We do. You know how we do. <laughs> Codependency recovery, um, interdependence, shadow work. Yes. All the things that we love to talk about at nauseum, but we're giving you an opportunity to dive in those deep waters with us and like really get in it in a pretty condensed weekend immersive. Yeah. So if you're interested, there is a longer, more detailed explanation of what to expect uh, at the link in both of our bios, either of our bios. So get on it, y'all. It's going to sell out quick July 14th through 16th in Idlewild, California. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. This one is a special one. Mm. Um, We're bringing somebody in who in some ways feels a little bit like a a different kind of angle, the conversations that we've had, and yet also Mm. doesn't at the same time, right? Mm. Um, But holy shit, this is a profound one. So buckle up. Um, So today we're talking to Richie Reseda. So Richie Reseda is a feminist ally, community organizer, recording artist, and founder of the social impact record label Question Culture. Success Stories, which is the anti-patriarchy organization he started while incarcerated, was chronicled in the CNN documentary, The Feminist on Cell Block Y. He changes California prison policy with Initiate Justice, another one of his organizations, which he co-founded in prison. 
Yeah. I don't even have the words for how moved I am by this man and the conversation that we had with him. You know, I've watched so many interviews with him. Certainly the feminist on Cell Block Y. Like I remember as soon as I watched it, I was like, Bay, you must watch this right now. But I just feel like he is so profoundly insightful in the way that he is speaking to just like these deeply painful cultural truths that we all need to look at. But again, as you said, when you first were talking about him, it's always connected, right? Like all of the things that we talk about in terms of patriarchy and in terms of like disconnecting from like attempting to understand and like, how do we seek to understand versus like defend against not being right? Like, I feel like that's what he's speaking to in this conversation so profoundly, you know? That's it. I mean, the work that we do around, you know, abandoning self, which then leads into what it means to be in small, close interpersonal dynamics, which then trickles into how we show up in smaller interpersonal dynamics, let's say family, which then trickles into how we show up in small community dynamics, right? And then larger community dynamics and then global community dynamics. I mean, this is all connected. And when you and I talk about patriarchy, we're talking about it from top down, bottom up, everything, all in, all included, right? And part of the work that we do in depth psychology is to also look at the collective, right? It's not just about the individual and our ego, That in and of itself Mm -hmm. is a very patriarchal way at looking at the self. We have to look at ourselves in in the collective because we are in the collective. You cannot, you can't detach those two things, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Richie is absolutely brilliant, everyone. This episode is so good. And I just, I feel like I want everyone to know who he is. And and I think that these types of conversations... um, are everything right now. This is, this is how things shift, you know? So as Vanessa said, buckle up. This is just one of, to me, one of the most important conversations we've had on the podcast. And let it challenge you if it does, Mm -hmm. you know, like I want to call in. I hope it does. Yeah, I hope it does. (laughs) And I want to call that in. I want to say like Danae and I've said before, you know, like pay attention to that. Pay attention mm-hmm. to if you feel um, defensive or if you feel like, oh, like I roll, like that can't be true or that's not true. Like notice that shit. Pay attention mm-hmm. to it. Allow it to have space in yourself and, and, and call it forward. Because I think that we've got to make room for the defenses so that we can start to question where they come from, why we have them, uh, what they're telling us about ourselves. Right. And so, um, I just invite you, if anything that we're talking about brings that up for you, that you continue to stay open um, and notice if your your go-to is to want to shut down. Oh, I have been excited for today for a while. Um, let me just start off, Richie, with just saying thank you for doing this, um, for carving out some time to be here with V and I. Um, we've really just been admirers of you and your work for a while now. And Uh, yeah, back in January, well, let me back up and tell you that Vanessa and I, in addition to being therapists, we're group facilitators and we facilitate retreats for, you know, anyone really who's looking at sort of unpacking some of our conditioning around codependency and self-abandonment. And Mm. a lot of what we talk about is the ways that we've all been harmed by patriarchal systems and narratives Mm -hmm. and, Um, In a retreat that we had in June, one of the women who came to the retreat who we've become really close with was like, you know, Danae, the way that you talk about Bell Hooks and Bell Hooks' work, there's something you've got to see. And so she sent Mm -hmm. me a link to the CNN documentary, um, The Feminist on Cell Black Y. And Mm -hmm. when I tell you, first of all, I was so unbelievably just like moved by who you are and the work that you are doing in the world. I have used your work as a teaching tool. Um, hey! <laughs> so many conversations. So it feels kind of surreal to be sitting here talking with you because I feel like I'm constantly showing video clips of you, but just thank you for the work that you're doing. It's so important. And I'm just really, really grateful to you and for who you are. So let me thank just start there. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for sharing sharing our work mm. um, in your work and as we're all out here trying to heal ourselves and each other. Um, it's, uh, 
Yeah, it truly it truly is an honor. It's really an honor to be a representative of something that's so much bigger than myself or anything I possibly could have done alone. Um, and what, yeah, what people see in that documentary is really directly impacted people healing themselves and each other. Um, and that like spirit is in all of us. And I happen to be the kind of like focal point of this way of telling this story um, and, and, and get to start that particular organization where we're healing patriarchy specifically, um, amongst incarcerated men. Um, yeah, I got to like represent that. And it really is an honor to be here and to be able to like speak on it further and to continue to like do that with you all and, and like be around people who care about that. We all care about it really, but the, we've made space like we, like Vanessa, Danae, Richie, like we've made space to care about it often. Um, and yeah, I'm honored to be here. It's not missed on me too, as like a cis dude. I really, I get praised a lot for doing things that women and non-binary people and trans people do on the regular. Mm-hmm. So I'm really honored to be here because that's really kind of just what I'm doing is um, just being this, showing the same kind of love that my grandmother, you know, shows me mm-hmm. and just like <laughs> trying to embody that with my homeboys. I love that. I also love that you just said healing each other like healing themselves and healing each other, which is, mm-hmm. I also think really important for those of us who are, are out there doing this work in the world that we might be way shores, but we're not the ones doing the work necessarily. It's like, Zanae and I always talk about like the work, it like it comes through us, right? Like mm-hmm. we aren't, we aren't healing you. You are healing right. you. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad mm-hmm. you said that. Yeah. You mean as therapists? Just, yeah, healers, I think in general, I would Got put it. you in the same category, you know, like, I think it's like doing the work of healing. It's not, I'm not actually healing you, right? Like I'm giving you tools and different ways right. of thinking, but you're healing you. Right. Yeah. We're just giving folks like an operating system to mm-hmm. do what their bodies already know how to do. It's yeah. just like, we just need to be able to do it in this context. Yes. I, I think that's why people like, like, that's all we really did in success stories was, was, apply bell hooks to a prison context like put it in that language and do it with each other yeah well (laughs) i want to go back just a little bit for a second for our listeners you know because i think what you have such an incredible gift to me richie is you have this way of speaking to these deeply painful cultural truths in a way that not only invites compassion for ourselves and others but really calls um everyone around you to the space of personal responsibility, which I just find so powerful. Um, There's something that I heard you say in another interview that kind of like I had one of those like physical reactions to it. You were talking about the way that you were when you were a little boy and that, Mm -hmm. you know, you were the artist that you are now and you were just like super Mm -hmm. into like fashion and all kinds of like cool clothing and that there was a shift that started to happen when, um, Well, first of all, you talked about being 10 years old and how this is something that I have a six-year-old boy and this is like, I know something Mm -hmm. that every mother of a little black boy, um, this is like the greatest fear that we know this day is coming and like hold our breath until it gets here. But you talked about that shift from when you went from being like the cute little boy to the boy that now people are afraid of, right? Mm -hmm. And how you started to have to um, just like really diminish the essence of who you were in order to be seen as strong. Right. And I, you talked about a friend saying, you know, why are you changing? Why are you changing the way you dress? Everybody Mm -hmm. loves you. And you said, I don't want them to love me. I want them to respect me. Mm -hmm. And it just took my breath away. Respect me as a man. Yeah. Will you say more about that? Yeah, that, that was a really slow process. I'm interested into when, what I was describing at that time where I said it happened at 10 I, but we're always remembering things in different ways. And I, 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 the process bell hooks calls it soul murder mm-hmm. of, um, like learning to cut off my own soul as a means of having value in society was like very, very slow. And over, over that whole time, there's key points at these different moments, 10 and 16. And, um, and I think it's something that, um, we've really normalized. I think like all of us um, came into this world like an artist and a creative and that was really present on my heart as a child. And there was not a lot of spaces for me to be that way. Um, it's not, our society is not designed in that way. Um, 
So our society is designed in um, the pursuit of something, but it's not, our, our society isn't designed to center our needs for safety, health, and fulfillment. Our society is designed to center the needs of capitalism. Um, and thus schools are, are designed in a very particular context to like warehouse children and train them to be consumers and workers. Mm -hmm. And therefore there's not really room to, what do you do with a a six-year-old who just wants to learn how to make beats like Dr. Dre? Mm -hmm. When a six-year-old walks into your class and says, I want to be like Dr. Dre, you say, sit down. We're learning math today. Yeah. That's, and that is. You know, people in the, in the, in movement spaces, like use the word violent often and people, you know, um, like clown us for being like, you're calling everything violent. You're so sensitive. But when, when I say that's violent, what I'm, what I'm, I do believe that's violent because what it's saying is your need to express your, is, um, in discord with what is important to society. Mm-hmm. That society doesn't thrive of, of, off of us all being our authentic selves. Society thrives of, off of us conforming and conforming to what? Conforming to a system that actually benefits just a very select few of us. Um, so that's what I mean. When I'm like, it's violent. Like we're giving up our daily needs from the time that we're children, ultimately to help the rich get richer. I mean, that's what happens with this economy every day. So that's what we're, when we're, when we're silencing ourselves or bending ourselves into the shape of the cultural norm we look at who does that cultural norm ultimately benefit and it's capitalists and the people who own it. So going back to my story, um, I grew up in Los Angeles during uh, the time of zero tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the idea of bro- quote unquote broken windows policing, which is uh, Chief William Bratton um, implemented this in LA. It was based off this crime theory that if you let a child break a window without arresting and criminalizing them, one day they will climb in it, one day they will steal from you, one day they'll kill you, right? Um, and so it was a, a school of thought that was used to criminalize children. So my first negative interaction with the police was when I was four. Mm. And then again, when I was the first time I was detained, I was 11 and then 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 and 19 until I ultimately went to prison. Mm. Um, and there's what was that all in? service of it didn't have to go down like that and there, there's like a, it's a more complex responsibility it's not like i am a vic a quote-unquote victim i, I want to take right wrong good and bad victimhood good people bad people whatever out of it and just look at what happened which is that we had a child and then we and by 19 he's fighting 150 years to life and gets 10 years in in, in of being kidnapped and held at gunpoint away from his family and community. What necessitated that? What was that all in service of? Um, so anyway, that's my story. <laughs> As I'm sitting here thinking, I have a three and a half year old, right? And it's like, to mm-hmm. think about your first interaction being four. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I struggle with, and I haven't had these conversations with her yet because I'm honestly at a loss for how I'm going to talk to my kid about police. You know, I mean, my daughter's half Korean, so she's person of color, but it, she's a girl. So maybe there's a little bit less, but I, I don't know. Like, I don't even know the words to have these conversations with her. You know, she gets shown all of these ridiculous cartoons where there's like the police and the police car and all these things. Happy patrol. And, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so it's a struggle for me, you know, even as a, as the mom of a little girl to talk to her in a real way about this system and when you go to them and when you don't. And yeah, I don't know if there's a question in there. It's just something you made me think of. <laughs> I, I would encourage you to to encourage her to lean on her own voice and the power of it and mm-hmm. to know and to like really be able to locate safety. Cause some yeah. a way that um white women, white passing women, even Asian women, people who can't are like trained to utilize this system is like, you are weak, you are in danger. This system will keep you safe with the threat of death. If anybody messes with you, somebody will show show up and potentially kill somebody on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And, and that way of being is where a lot of people have learned, people with those identities have learned to rest their safety. But it's not just people with those identities. We all have learned to rest our safety on that. That's why people can't imagine a world without police because they can't imagine a world in which their comfort, health, and safety is not guarded with the threat of death. Mm-hmm. Um, and young white girls and young white women in particular 
are very centered by this system and have a have a, a, a it was you know it was created at the end of slavery around a lot of mythology of protecting white women from black men so there's a there's a particular like I remember being a, a kid and just seeing the way white girls were treated in school and the way that they can like cry or say, say something and just be, be like believed and violence done on their behalf. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is the conversation. That's the conversation that I would have with like a young white and Korean child is just like, your feelings matter. If you say this hurts me, that's enough. You don't need to say, and it's wrong and you're a bad person and it's against the rules. And let me talk to your manager. That, mm-hmm. that, People show up like that for a reason. We're all just out here trying to suit our needs, be safe. Like, and when you've taken, there's certain, you can see where we've taken people's power away by what power they grab for and what power is available to them. People who look like me grab for aggression, grab for guns, grab for tattoos on our face, other types of symbols, other things to keep us safe based on how we're positioned. Mm-hmm. People more like you, people like your daughter are more likely to grab for 911, to grab for teacher, teacher, to grab for Right. And it's not that they'll never need help, but how do you base your help in your, in safety and love as opposed to you're under attack? It's a dangerous world out there. And there, but luckily there's people with guns who will help you. Mm. <laughs> you're just so freaking brilliant. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, it's what we, we need to have these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. It's different. Like for your kid versus Danae to have like a six year old black boy, I was. I was five when my dad told me my, my first day of sick of first grade, my dad said, if anybody asks you where you're from, say nowhere, I don't bang. And I was like, what? Mm. He was teaching me about gang banging. He was teaching me if you get banged on what to say. Cause I was about to start public school. I was about to start first grade. I I was five because I'm a Scorpio. My birthday's late, but I was, I was about to start school with the big kids, you know? And, um, my dad is teaching me about, and it was like, I didn't understand what he was talking about. I started laughing because I thought he was talking about sex because I heard my friends say like banging and sex. So I like laughed and I'm like, dad, I already know about banging. Like you don't have to tell me about banging. I don't know if this is the talk, but I'm five. I got this. Like I heard about banging before, but no, he was talking about gang banging. He was talking about some, he was talking about my life could be in danger. Yeah. And um, that was similar to the first time I really thought about my life being in danger was the first time I ever saw a gun which was when I was four because a police officer came to our preschool where my mom worked and did this, you know, don't talk to strangers workshop. But of course all the kids are like, but you have a gun. Like you shoot people. Can you kill people? Have you ever killed somebody? And what you learn, what I learned when the, when I came in contact with that, that police officer and their gun, what I learned about society in that myself in that moment is that in order for some of us to be safe, some of us have to get killed and some of us have to be trusted to just make that decision. And it just is what it is. And then I very quickly learned I am one of those people who are on that, that there's a line in which you can deserve to be killed. Mm-hmm. And that I was one of the people who was below that line. That's what I, I began to learn for five, six, seven, eight, every time I got kicked out of a classroom, every time I was in quote unquote trouble, every time I was we're all talking, but Richard, you have a deep voice. So we, I only heard you. I don't have a deep voice to this day. I'm 31, but a teacher told me that when I was 10. Um, yeah, there's, there's every single time I got taught like, oh, you're one of the expendable ones. You can get killed by, by the police and that is okay. And as we can see, that's very, that's very true. So those two things came hand in hand. Like where, where is my life? How safe am I? And how do I know I'm safe? We learned that very early on and get very different messaging by it and then often root ourselves in this the the normalized violence of this culture based on that information. Yes. I'm so struck by just like the levels of what violence is, Rishi. Like even as you're talking, I started to feel a little sick to my stomach about mm. even the socioeconomic disparities. Like I have a 6-year-old. The idea that even he would have a conceptualization of what sex is at 6 years old. Um, really struck me and that there's a way that certainly black and brown children are, I don't know, like, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like to be more adult. invited into adult conversations mm-hmm. so much younger and like mm-hmm. the violence in that, like mm-hmm. the, the robbing of a childhood in that it's just the level of dehumanization takes my breath away. Even as I'm listening to you talk about it. That's a child, a five-year-old, like trying to differentiate which kind of banging are you talking about, dad? You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. Yeah. I I hear that. It's like it's what's normal to me. So it's like I try to imagine I I try to remind myself that other people did not grow up like this. Mm-hmm. That other people didn't grow up in that reality and that they they didn't like I was talking to somebody recently and I was telling some story from school and I finished the story and they're like, "Wait, wait, wait. There is cops at your school?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah. There isn't cops at at your school?" And they're like, "No. They're like there is armed cops at your school." I was like, "Yeah. There's a police station." on every single Los Angeles Unified School District, the, the elementary schools and all that. And the cops have guns for, for the 10-year-olds and the five-year-olds. Yeah, that's that's not normal to you? And they're like, no, mm-hmm. I did not see cops and guns in my schools. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I did learn about sex when I was six. I just want to say this. <laughs> well, you're a different breed of New Yorker. New York is... Yeah, we have a whole whole other level. I did. I was told by my mom that I proceeded to go to class the next day and hold court on my first grade campus and teach all of the other six year olds about sex too. So she got a little angry phone calls from parents. (laughs) A young sex educator just waiting for her podcast. (laughs) Talking about how women can experience authentic pleasure. Well, right. I was like, down with the patriarchy. Let's talk about pleasure. <laughs> this is your pleasure. Own it, ladies. The um, adults are hiding it from us. That's right. <laughs> but Richie, I wanted to ask, because based on this conversation, you know, it seems like you've been interested in social justice and reform pretty much forever. But I'm wondering, like, do you remember what that specific, like, spark was? Like, when that was lit for you? Or do you feel like it was a culmination of all of these experiences and conversations that we're kind of having now? Well, one, and I, I appreciate that we have the kind of space I can say this. I'm not interested in reform at all. I'm I'm interested in the abolition of abolition. the colonial system and its culture, yes. um, as as a as a means of us all being able to go back to our scheduled programs of living integrated lives that are based around our health, safety, and well being of of all living things, like we did for hundreds of thousands of years, um, before we were convinced that. that we needed a middleman Mm -hmm. that we, (laughs) that, that, you know, and capitalist Mm -hmm. capitalism is that middleman, right? That we can't keep each other safe. We need cops to do that. We can't feed each other. We need corporations to do that. Right. We, that's, that's, we were convinced we need that middleman. And that's what I'm, I'm, I know that we don't need that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And that it's hurting us and that we're actually in the process of recovering from that. So anyway, that I wanted to be, and I've always felt like that. Yeah. I just always could, to me, I just, um, I don't know. I think cause I have ADHD and I have an, like an overly sensitive fairness gland, mm-hmm. but like, it's just shit just sat with me the wrong way. And the more that I looked at it, I would just think about it. Even when I got locked up. I was like, I did rob these stores. 150 years to life is obviously too, like they're overdoing it, but what would be underdoing it? Mm. Like, how either way it's kind of made up and what something felt off about it something i was just like i couldn't settle into the idea that well i robbed the stories now i'm in jail i'm being punished that's what it is because my desire to live didn't go away so i had to think about it and really understand what abolition is um and how it's actually about honoring the uh life of all things um and yeah, I think so. I guess I say that to say, like, it's always been like present with me because to me, I just find it hard to move in ways that that couldn't be replicated. I've just experienced a lot of pain, y'all. I've experienced a lot of pain, a lot of oppression, and I'm, I'm I I know that there has to be another way. So it's like seeking out where those ways are because they're ever present too. Um, we have them with each other. We have them with ourselves. We have them with our families those moments of peace, those moments of right now, like right now in this moment, um, we, you, the three of us are in this conversation based on mutual respect, not fear of death. The police aren't making us respect each other and treat each other with care. We see each other and what we are doing here on the planet and we are consensually agreeing to do this. And praise God, we're also healthy, fed. Well, we have water right now. I hope I'm not making too many, too many assumptions about us, but like that is freedom. That is all, that is it. That is it. We have it all the time. The, the, we have access to that. So I feel like that's what I've been interested in is like growing that um, and finding it. And in moments where I was out of integrity, 
with that, I had people around me who called me into that and still do. And, and that is all I see myself doing with our other like siblings on this planet and ourselves is just like calling each other into what we all know we want and need. Mm. You know, I'm so struck, Richie. This is where Danae's a little bit of the, the woo-woo of the two of us. But I tend to like, I look at you at a 30 or 30, 31? 31, yeah. 31. I'm like, just like years of wisdom. If you're 31 years, blow my mind. But I just believe that there's like a divine calling that some of us have and that sometimes the pain is deeper because the calling is larger. And I was thinking about another interview where I heard you talking about, you know, that incarcerated men will get love for being violent and Mm -hmm. that for whatever reason you were blessed that you got love for being authentic, you Mm -hmm. know, and people resonated with you telling the truth. And I was thinking, as I was listening to you say that, like, how did you have the courage to do that? But to me, that's a little bit like, that's what you were meant to do. And I don't know yeah. if there's like and a I ha- formula to why, you know, I receive that. I do believe, I believe that we have our callings and I believe that they're all connected because mm-hmm. I believe that we're all cells in a larger organism, just like we have cells within us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're all meant to have different things. Like from the time I was a young baby, you can ask my mom, I have never wanted children. I never, wa- I love children. I don't like babies. I've never <laughs> liked them from the time I was young. I, was, I just wouldn't hang out with them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, and some people are called to that, to me, yeah. that, and that's a, that is an investment of a life. My, my dad, bless his soul. He's with the ancestors. Now he dedicated his life to me and my brothers and my mom, my mom, she's still with us. She has dedicated her life to us. I have dedicated my life to my community. It's, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's an, it's the same kind of love. And people are like, how could you do that? Da, 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 da. Oh my gosh, these bills, you help people get out, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's the same love you have for your kids. It's the same. You're, you wake up and grind all fucking day w- yeah. without question to make sure that your babies are good. That's, it's the same thing. I was blessed to my calling is, is for the community and this art shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that from <laughs> you. Um, I want to, um, can I read that one quote today? Cause it feels like based on what you're saying, Richie, <laughs> this is a good one. Yes. So kind of going back a little bit when you were talking about um, just following the rules, we had this one quote that we pulled that we thought was so profound. You said, people say you go to prison because you don't follow the rules. That's not true. You go to prison because you do follow the rules, the real rules that tell men how to be. It's just some of us get criminalized for it and some of us become president for it. Yeah. Truly, it's also arbitrary and fake. Like the the idea that the system is performing any kind of justice while simultaneously defining justice while simultaneously having all the guns and money and telling us that we're not safe without them. Yeah. Um, and so, and the prison system is based on the same violence and domination that street violence is based in, that day-to-day arguments are based in, that people getting pushed out of their jobs are based in. It's all based on right, wrong thinking good, bad, and domination is power. Domination is winning. And specifically like that, the the culture of patriarchy, like Mm -hmm. that, the more cis male, like that is dominant and that that is winning. So if, if you quote unquote dominated society by quote unquote breaking a rule, first of all, let's be clear that applying a rule is a patriarchal gesture. Yes. A rule is a patriarchal gesture because it's not consented to. It says do this or else. So the, but when people are like, these are our ground rules, we're, we've already entered into a violent situation because now you haven't even, I'm, I'm, I'm not here on my own volition. You're saying, so to be born into a country and there's laws there and you have to follow them or else, or else be kidnapped, killed both, that's already a violent situation. So we started with patriarchy, the, the assumption that people are bad and you have to dominate them into being good. They will only treat each other well if they're afraid of death. That, so we're already in a violent situation. I'm being forced to, to show up to these rules. And then there's a, the, a whole system that is completely contrary to what these rules are saying. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, and it's arbitrarily applied. Um, the way that, yeah, I was, I, I guess I say all that to say I was in prison and everybody I was around was either incarcerated or worked out of prison and they all acted the same. it was all the same shit it was the same jokes it was the same quote-unquote locker room talk it was the same 
my dick's bigger than yours. Shut the fuck up. I'll beat the shit out of you. It was the same. One, one, some of us had the symbols of, of patriarchy that had social value where we grew up, which is these gang symbols I have tatted on me. And some of us had symbols of patriarchy that mean things to different people on a bigger stage, which American flags, the California state seal, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation seal, which is literally a picture of colonizers pulling up on an indigenous woman, mm. petting a bear, um, that it is literally an image of colonization on someone's shirt as they are forcing us with guns away from our families, away from our health, away from our safety and saying this is necessary for society. I mean, they're just a gang with more cultural buy-in. And it's, but it's all based on the same idea. Nobody's offering anything different. It's still going violence for violence. You offered the violence of the law. I broke it. I said, fuck, you're what you, what makes you feel healthy and safe. I need to do this for me. That was my violence. You came back and dominated me with your laws. Now we're going to beat the shit out of you, try to give you 150 years to life. You end up with 10 years. Boom. I come back with my violence, right? Most people get even more violent in prison. And it just, it goes back and forth. That's why our society is as violent as it is today. I didn't grow up with kids shooting up schools every day, but I'm not surprised that's the reality now because we respond to violence with more. I grew up the first time it really happened, Columbine, I was in second grade. Mm -hmm. And then that the response to Columbine was the context in which my entire incarceration story just happened. Zero mm -hmm. tolerance, all that shit. Uh, making threats is no joke. All that shit came out of Columbine. So they responded to that violence with more violence. And now the kids are responding with more violence. And it's not just kids in the hood. It's the kids who play Call of Duty. It's the kids everywhere. And, the, and there's guns everywhere. And now, what are they saying? Now the teachers need guns. Yep. More violence. And it's going to keep, it's going to keep doing, it's going to keep, it's going to keep going. Mm -hmm. Unless we build the skills of love, connection, right? Feminism and go in the other direction. That's it. So that was another quote that I had pulled, actually. It's like, as you said, as long as men get labeled pussies for choosing not to fight, male emotion is sneered upon as weakness and masculinity itself is measured by the willingness to be violent. America may not always have a mass shooting problem, but it will always have a mass violence problem, right? So the, I don't want to even use the word solution, but I guess like the turnaround or the about face that we need is to start looking at the root problem of patriarchy, right? To not continue to one up with violence, but to actually go back to the root of why all these statistics show that men are overwhelmingly the perpetrators of violence. Men are overwhelmingly also the perpetrators of violence on their own lives, right? The highest suicide rate. Um, and it, the, the solution to that is not to continue to add more violence. The solution to that is to go back to the source and say, why is it that our society is actually creating violence within men? Like, why are we giving that to them as the only option or outlet for any source of feeling? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the answer is cheaper than therapy. Because yeah. truly, the answer is, I, I, I don't just, I, I mean, I don't mean the show, but yes, the show. I mean, like, the answer <laughs> itself is cheaper than therapy because the answer is community. Yeah. We were, we grew up in a community context. That is how we came to be. That's how we, got, we evolved to have the needs that we have. And now we live in a context where we pretend like we're all individuals or individual families that are all like playing this game, this video game of how much money you have and how good of a person are you and these various social like l batteries in this video game we have to win and it's destroying us. So the, the, it's really in the how. It's like coming back to community, getting out of a right, wrong, good, bad, your way, my way, what's true, what's false, and into a like a shameless place to actually process what folks are going through and be rooted in our shared goals and what we consent to. Yeah, I mean, I love that so much. And it, it's like what I kept thinking as you're speaking, Richie, is like, where is there violence within me? And to me, this is all mm -hmm. like a return to the feminine principle. And that's not like a matriarchal society instead of a patriarchal society. It is the integration of the feminine and masculine within all of us. But that is the return to our hearts and to collaboration and into seeing one another in our humanity. And, you know, I'm a couples therapist primarily. And I, I was so struck as I first started to read Bell Hooks's work, how much violence there was within me, honestly, mm -hmm. towards my ex-husband. And like mm -hmm. in moments that I was just so conditioned, and this is something that I say to women a lot, I think that yes, men are conditioned not to feel, but women are very much conditioned not to care that men do not feel. Mm -hmm. And that like, you know, happy wife, happy life, fall in line, like do your job. Like all of that is violence. Not caring about someone that you were sharing a life with and how they feel is violence. And I think that 
a lot of this is about all of us, like not pointing the finger outward and saying like, where is there violence within me and mm -hmm. within, you know, my relationships that I can have mm -hmm. a harder look at. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Our relationships. Thank you so much for that reflection. I, I really hope that that's what I seek to do too. And that's what I, I hope the listeners are inspired to do is like, look at the violence within us. Um, because it's not, it's not a reflection of our souls. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a reflection of the way that our souls have been, can express in this, con this societal context. Um, the way that I, our identities and traumas and experiences within a system that we know was created by the executive producers of slavery, colonization, like, mm -hmm. It is there, we're playing their game and it is in that that we're running into these things with each other. So if we can depersonalize and not have it when someone's like, hey, I felt hurt when you said that, um, that that becomes then a trigger of if I'm a good person, bad person, if I'm be let into the pearly gates one day, then we can like struggle and, and see each other a little more in ways that we've really been taught not to. And they're so normalized. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I encourage folks to think of, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but that I want to pause on that because okay, that please. I think I think actually also as like therapists, right? Whether I'm working with couples or groups or individuals, what you just said is really profound, which is even the way that we're taught to do conflict, right? Like conflict resolution, even when we're talking about within couples or within families, um, it's it's the attempt, continued attempt to depersonalize and come back to like just because somebody has said something to me, I always say like because somebody said you quote unquote, did something bad does not mean that you quote unquote are bad. Right. But I think what you're saying, the reason why I wanted to pause on that is what you're saying is that that belief in and of itself is actually part of the patriarchal narrative. Right? Yes. This is that black and white, right and wrong. And that I think is important to stop on because yes, right. Like Danae and I are always talking about how a lot of these, even like relationship quote unquote experts or the people who have written all the couples therapy books, it's all about like, let's talk about conflict resolution and let's talk about communication skills. And her and I are constantly like, I feel like we're missing the larger picture here <laughs> hmm. when, we, when we focus on that, you know? And I think what you said is actually the larger picture, honestly. Yeah, because even the idea of bad yeah. is based – that is – now we're back in a violent, non-consented-to context because what is good and what is bad? We will waste the rest of our lives trying to agree on that. But what is always clear is I don't want to be treated that way. Could you please not treat me that way? Now we can re have a consent-based contract. Mm -hmm. And that is like the more feminist it's be way of being because it's not requiring us to have anything to battle over. Good and bad – Ha requires domination. It requires a dominant narrative of what is good and bad. And that is created and maintained through violence. For example, at school, they have their own list of good and bad rules and stuff like that. How do they maintain that? If you don't act that way, they will fuck up your life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right? As say, like at work, there's another set of good and bad. It, in our families, there might not be written down with policies and stuff. There's another one, right? And if you don't follow it, Different people deal with it. You might get a silent treatment. You might get who knows, right? These are all places of violence where we're not living in consent with one another. We're not taught to honor each other's consent. Um, and we're taught instead that we're all on these individual missions to be good and bad. That is a recipe for patriarchal disaster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, just so yeah. much yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, go ahead, go ahead V. <laughs> No, I was just going to say, I mean, it just reminds me so much of the conversations we were just having. We just got out of a week long retreat, actually a week ago, we just came home mm. and a lot of the conversations we were having around, um, you know, like spirituality, religion, just our understanding of them. And we were talking about just West, the Western religious approach and kind of the spread of the patriarchal religions, right. And how much the good and bad narrative is cemented Key. into those religions, right? And it's where most mm -hmm. of us learn the original concept of good and bad, of sin, right? It comes from yes. this very patriarchal, very Western approach to religion. Like some people get the keys to heaven and only when they're, they act a certain way and some people don't, right? And where do we learn that from? And why do we subscribe to that? And, and who says, right? Like when did, we, when did we learn that there was a person, a human, a person that got to hold all the answers and say, well, I say this is right and I say this is wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that, that it is, 
that idea of right and wrong was key. They needed that idea to be able to make colonization and slavery work. Like cultures are often, in my experience, built to support economies Hmm. and economies are built to support needs. It happens on their own. When human beings are around each other and we need to, to meet our needs, we will start doing stuff. We will create an economy and we will create a, a culture. And the, the economy of colonialism and slavery needed a culture. And right and wrong thinking, good and bad thinking, gave it something to stand on. Mm-hmm. When, they start, when, when the Portuguese brought a, a black person who they were trading with in chains to Pope Nicholas V, they said, what do we do with him? 1402, he said, he is a heathenous beast and slave him and teach him in the ways of the Lord and go around the whole world and anybody else who does not believe in the ways of the world, whatever they have, make it your own and teach them in the ways of the Lord. These things came together. So all these other people who were around the world living, trying to building societies based on their needs and the needs of the biosphere they're a part of and living in connection with that then came up against these folks who believed they had a religion that had to beat other religions. My religion is right. Your religion is wrong. And an economy that had to beat other economies. I have to take from you for my economy to work. I have an extractive economy. You have a circular economy. I need to take yours to keep mine going. Mine has to keep growing. And that's, that's the, it's truly like the contradiction happens at that point. And we all have those choices every day to be able to disconnect from that and instead yeah. do the work of slowing down and really moving in consent um, with one another, not making assumptions, not making assumptions based on gender, not making assumptions of safety, not making us like, and from our, our apartment buildings to our workspaces, do what, what y'all describe, like what y'all seen us do in the feminist on cell block Y in prison, which was have a space to be accountable to one another. This is who I want to be in my life. And I'm asking y'all to hold me to that. I don't need the law to tell me what not to do or they're going to kill me. I'm going to tell you who I want to be. And in ten, it's almost been 10 years of success stories. We started, we launched in 2024 and almost 10 years of success stories, thousands of people graduating. I've been in many of those, many of those circles. I ran success stories for seven years. Um, I have never heard anybody in our first exercise where people state their top five, the most important people and goals in their life. Never heard anybody say one of my goals is to, gangbang. One of my goals is to destroy my community. One of my goals is to rob. One of my goals is to kill. One of my goals is to commit sexual assault ever. People, we all already have it in us. People want to be the best versions of themselves. We, we can base us. We can now, because we know that's true, make societies, many societies moments in our everyday lives where we base our accountability in that we help each other be who we want to be. We don't have to police each other at gunpoint when we help each other be who we want to be and we respect each other's consent. But it's the fear, right? Like that's the fear. No. It's the fear that we've cultivated to say, cause I'm thinking Danae also like people who are listening to this going, yeah, but if we take all that away, like everything's just going to go to shit. Like people are going to be going crazy and killing each other. It's like, we've got this fear in us that says that our power is so external that that is not, that's not true. Because you've been trained to be afraid. Yes. And that's right. in every moment we're choosing between fear or love. What I hear in what Richie is saying is, what if we believe, believed in our innate goodness? Yes. Just like we talk about with children. What if you didn't yep. need to raise children to be good people? Like who told you your child is not a good person? But it's the same of all of us. Like what if we believed in the innate goodness and in humanity? And if we stopped being in the space of fear because we're taught we have to be mm-hmm. afraid of one another, mm-hmm. like what could we create? Who could we be as a society? And yes, it is. Mm-hmm. there's a lot of benefit to keeping us afraid, right? Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Because- because the truth of the matter is everything is already wild like that. Mm-hmm. Like that is, right. a, that is a situation we live in now. It, we already live in a situation Ooh. where there is so many school shootings. We don't even remember them all. It's not even headline news anymore. Nope. Children getting killed by other children is not even a headline anymore. Like we have went off the deep end. It's a dub. The air, we can't breathe it. We just went through years of not even being able to be in contact with each other physically because of a pandemic. Like, we are already in the worst version of the matrix you have ever seen. Mm. So the question is, are we going to keep using that operating system of fear of violence and tumble more into that? Or are we going to do the scary thing and go the other way? And the truth of the matter is sometimes it's going to hurt. Bell Hook said healing is painful. I don't even want to say sometimes it's going to hurt. I just want to say it's going to hurt. Healing is painful. When I was deciding to stop gangbanging when I was in prison, I was basically in a situation, I had two strikes. 
And if I got into if I get into any violence, I get a life sentence. If I keep gangbanging, I'm likely to get in some violence because now I'm connected to all these people who are doing all kinds of things that are violent often. If I stop, they might it is a regular practice to either jump you or kill you for stopping. That is also violence. I'll get struck out for that too. So I was in a situation where I, I had a, a I was literally on the brink of life or death every single day, extremely scared. And um when I got to the point where I was really thinking about after much, you know, uh, support um, from my partner at the time, from my community inside and out, I was at a point where I was really considering it. And I had a friend named Chris who said, um, he said, look, it could go all bad. He was like, let's say it happens. You're on the yard. You've been stabbed. You've been shot because the cops shoot at you from with real guns from the towers. You're laying out there. You're going to die. You're never going to see your family again. You're going to die in prison in your early 20s. Do you want to be laying on the floor dying out for the very disconnected desires of this gang? Um, and that's not to say that gangs are a bad thing. I actually don't believe gangs are a bad thing, but they are caught up in this negative culture like the rest of us right now. And I know right now pretty disconnected and, and acting in a lot of violence, at least that what that gang was at that time. So he said, do you want to bleed out on the floor over what, what your gang got going on? Or do you want to be bleeding out on the floor knowing that you stood for what you believed in and you tried your best to go home and do the art and be with your family? Um, in short, what you want to go to the dirt for? Mm. And that was really helpful to me because that's the choice we're making. I'm, I'm not here saying abolition and transformative justice is going to um, stop someone from ever harming you. It will not. What it will stop you doing is from harming them in response. What it'll, what it'll, what it'll allow you to do is to respond to that harm in a way that is oriented towards peace in the long run. Mm. Um, that is what we're called. That is the situation we found ourselves in. As I understand it, we're all born into this world as disconnected as it is, where we've been taught that all of our needs for health, safety, and fulfillment are at odds with each other. People are acting wild, killing each other, wars, cops, like we were born into this. If we, when we choose love, sometimes it'll be really welcomed and transformative for people. And sometimes people are gonna, it's it's not gonna stop us from their violence. Um, And what do we wanna go to the dirt for? God, I love that. You know, and I love, it's just amazing to me, the soul's, intuitive returning to um like a homeostasis like i was thinking mm. as you were saying you know i don't think gangs are bad i think what what gangs are is what indigenous populations understood in terms of like yep. we need belonging Culture, right and we will find yep. a way to get there no matter what and i think that there's so much in like as i listen to you speaking to men richie i'm so struck by like that innate remembrance of who i am a lot of times as mm. you're talking to people you know it's just like i remember but i forgot for a minute and i think a lot of times there's there's the forgetting in that moment of like someone does something that hurts me and the story i start to tell myself about what this means my ego needs to defend against that but that's me forgetting me do you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. You don't have to fight for it if it's true. Cap That's the scary thing about this culture. Men feel like they always have to fight for their masculinity. That's why they hurt people. We feel like we always have to fight for the fact we're good people. That's why we get defensive. That's um, right. Yeah, but as you were saying today, sorry. <laughs> no, you, you read my mind and like what I was struggling to articulate, but it's that, you know, like, it's like, I always say like the truth doesn't need defense. And we do this mm -hmm. in so many different levels, but that's what couples are fighting for a lot of times that I see. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, you're right. Like, why, what are we fighting about? But it's like, if I know I'm a man, then why do I have to fight to prove I'm a man? It's, it's always the same thing. It just kind of, um, it's like the forgetting the truth mm -hmm. of who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and our culture of that capitalist culture thrives off of us not knowing who we are because then it gets to sell us something new. That's right. Yep. So let me ask you this because I have you and I'm curious, Richie. I feel like there's so much about this moment in history that to me, like, first of all, I feel like it was prophesized as you look back that there was going to be like a great restructuring mm -hmm. of our society and that there was going to mm -hmm. be a renaissance and um, that patriarchy would fall. And so in a lot of ways- okay. As you're speaking to it, yes, so much pain and discomfort as as we sort of need to burn down what is not serving any of us. 
But in a lot of ways, I do feel hopeful for the little boy that I watch and like pray that he's going to inherit a better world. But I want to know how you yes. feel about that. Like, do you feel hopeful? And I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I was gonna. <laughs> I was gonna say honestly, I'd rather end on what you said. <laughs> no, no, I no, love. Stretchy in the house. No way. <laughs> every time, every time I meet parents mm. of like young children. Okay, so I gotta just tell y'all, like, I'm a Scorpio. I'm kind of like dark. <laughs> I'm kind of like, and my Scorpio and rising. I love it. Yeah, hey. <laughs> yeah, so and also, <laughs> period. We we there's a relationship to death that's just different that I had to really understand. Like, similar to what I'm saying, and I'll answer your question uh, directly to Danae, but I had to understand that when I started getting trained in in nonviolence in prison. And um, uh, through the East Point uh, Peace Institute that used to come into Soledad Prison, um, I started applying it to my organizing, applying it to my work at Success Stories. And I remember I was trying to get okay with the idea that somebody might hit me mm-hmm. and that that's okay, that that's not a reflection of who I am. I don't have to fight them back to to now re-demand respect. I still deserve respect. They If they hit me, it's going to be based on their inability in that moment, based on what their nervous system and soul is going through in that moment to be able to truly treat me with the respect I deserve. But I can still stand here for them. And I remember I was I was facilitating with this dude and we were talking about patriarchy. And I was like, you, you sound he was one of our facilitators. We were training. And I said, you sound like a victim. And he heard that in the way of like, um that word has a connotation to some older people who've been in prison. Like a victim is a person who gets stabbed up and wheeled off the yard. So if you tell somebody they sound like the victim, it's like, you're saying like that. So he was like, I ain't never no victim. And he got in my face and I was pretty sure he was going to hit me. And I remember taking this breath and being okay with it and being like, I'm not going to hit him back. And when he hits me and he sees that I didn't hit him back, he'll really understand that what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to call him into that it's deeper, that his, that who he is is not on the line. He doesn't have to fight for it anymore. Um, and I share that with y'all because it is with that, like, heart that I had to learn, like, oh, we might hit, I might get hit. I also had to learn I might die. It might, it might not work, but I'm oriented in this way. I'm going to orient myself in this way. And I feel like when I see parents who have children in this day and age, that's y'all. I see that, that in y'all, that you have taken on a stance of like, I am going to believe in myself and this child in our world enough to introduce now what I'm going to love the most into this world. Mm-hmm. Like, and it might not work. My child might be harmed. I might be harmed. This might not work, but I'm choosing to position. It's like you're entering a love affair with the world when you bring a child here. It's like you're entering a relationship almost like a, a, a with them to like co-raise your child. And I feel like that is such an act of faith and love. I would never want to shake it with my Scorpio dark, like I move from a different place. So I want to like, I just, <laughs> I would never want to shake that. I feel like you are, you, uh, each of you as parents are in a different contract with the earth than I am. And I get to ride a little looser and have a little less hope sometimes and like try things and do things. And like, because I don't got another person who, in, in that way. So I almost, yeah, I, I, I want to say that before I share that, like, um, before I share my perspective, like I want to put it in its place in this conversation with two people, children, you know, mothers at that. Um, um, I want to say that I am not sure if it's going to work mm-hmm. and I'm willing to love and try. Cause what else are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Well, if I may, <laughs> the man that you are, and I, I'm feeling emotional as I say this, um, solidifies that hope for me. You know, the work that you are out here fighting, doing on a daily, and that men like you are showing up as models for my little boy, and that like we can we can be afraid that it's not going to work, and still care, and still fight, and still try. Um, yeah, it, it makes me more. You made me more hopeful. Jesus, you didn't it's a it spiritual away. gift. You have a spiritual gift, Anae. That's a, <laughs> and that's and thank you and oh, thank you for that. 
yeah that for that's that means the world um to be able to receive that and be a part of that contribute to that to your story in, in that way hmm. well i would keep you forever asking you questions <laughs> but we um we want to be mindful of your time so we have a lightning round that we ask all of our guests um, awesome and the first question is who have been, I mean, I feel like we know one of them, but who have been your greatest teachers, mentors, um, whether they've been people that you've actually known along your path or just people whose works really inspired you along your path up to this point? Um, my teachers and mentors, thank you for this question, have been um, my friends, my community, my loved ones, been my best friend, Haywan, my mentors, Patrice, Mark Anthony, Vitali, um, J-Love. Um, People who, yeah, the my ex, Taina, who was with me the entire time I was in prison. Um, uh, also, like, writers like Bell Hooks um, and um, organizers like Angela Davis and um, artists, people who, who use, you know, colors and sounds to create new feelings within us. Um, like Pharrell Williams and Kanye West. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. So the next question is really around this concept of flow, right? People have different perspectives of what that means, but whatever that means to you, what do you find yourself doing or kind of partaking in when you have those moments of like, I just blinked my eyes and like the day has gone by, right? Like that feeling of something's working through you. When to me, creating a song, designing a shirt, putting on an event or leading a transformative justice process, creating an organization or policy, they all kind of feel the same to me And that I'm like creating an experience. I'm using my experience to help human beings further or better understand their experience, have some kind of experience that's going to hopefully orient us more towards integrity. And when I'm doing those things, similar to us being on this podcast, I don't know what time it is. I don't know when we started. <laughs> the yeah. and these days what breaks your heart Richie what breaks my heart yeah oh my gosh I hope that <laughs> I love that this is it here these days what breaks my heart you know it's been really present for me y'all is um the sky mm -hmm. the in Los Angeles it has been gray since last October um that is not the Los Angeles I grew up in I wake up every day. It's June, something damn near July. It's still gray outside my window. It's like cold. I really, I feel like the capitalists zap the sky like in the matrix. It breaks my heart every day. I used to wake up and look outside and be like, God, am I supposed to be happy or sad today? Mm -hmm. And as a kid, and I feel like the way we've been treating the planet, it's like God is telling me to be sad every day. That's real. Especially as the New Yorkers, you know, my, my family and my mm -hmm. people are like, uh, what's happening with our sky? And I'm like, well, that's, we're used to that out here, but now y'all are seeing what we see on the mm -hmm. regular. Right. And they're like Yo. totally confused by it. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Um, and the last question, Richie is a, is a doozy. It is, what is your favorite food? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. Well, y'all. Luckily, y'all are therapists, so we can unpack my food shit. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I won't put you through that. I pay a therapist for that. Um, I just got that kind of ADHD where I forget to eat. That's all that is. Um, so, and then therefore, so food is kind of like a daily stressor for me. Um, so my favorite food is the kind of food that nourishes me, I can afford, and is here as soon as I'm hungry. <laughs> but if I... <laughs> We had somebody else on literally our last interview was somebody who's like an advocate for ADHD. And she said almost verbatim what you just said. I mean, almost exactly the same quote. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I feel so seen by that. I'm about to go listen to her episode. I was dying because <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm definitely on the ADHD train. Like I got to go and really get diagnosed, but I'm the opposite. Like food is my life. And so she said that I was like, what? But now hearing you say it, I'm like, oh, this is a thing apparently. <laughs> this is a thing. I know a couple other people who have it too. Um, was that the last one? That was it. Wow. Thank y'all so much. I got to just say to you, um, you know, I feel so grateful when I have an opportunity to thank people who have been really profound teachers for me. And you have been that. And in your teaching me through 
just the way you move through the world and the wisdom every time you open your mouth that comes out of you, just like flowing out of you. I feel like I've been able to share your wisdom. And so there's a ripple that you're having. And I am so grateful for your heart and your soul and the way you are continuing to show up for all of us. You are just such a beautiful man. And I'm grateful to be able to tell you thank you, truly. Wow. Thank you. I really, really received that. Um, and I learned from that too. Mm. Um, I'm really honored. I'm really honored to be here. I really appreciate y'all giving me the space. Um, I ultimately, I came to say that like we, we grew our needs in community and we can serve our needs in community. Mm -hmm. And that is cheaper than therapy. Mm -hmm. I love it. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll link everything in the show notes with she. But like quickly, where can our followers like get in touch with you, see more of your work, all those things? Because you've got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm blessed to I'm blessed to be an, a part of a lot of dope, like worker owned, um, worker led, like people who are impacted by incarceration led projects, um, art art things and, and organizations. Folks can follow me on Instagram at Richie Reseda. Um, and also, uh, follow question culture on Instagram, question.culture. Uh, and, uh, but from my, from my IG, you can get to also like success stories, which is our patriarchy work inside. Like they're all linked through from mine. You can get to like what side of my work or what thing I represent for you that you're ultimately interested in. So I would say through IG and also questionculture.com is, is literally just a list of our projects and their links. Cool. Awesome. Amazing. Thank well, you so much, Richard. Thank you so much. Richie. Thank you all. This is awesome. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com mom deserves better than a drugstore card this Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.